Let's go ahead and get into the message here tonight. And I'd like to start here in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read, uh, we're going to skip through the first few verses, and then we'll get down to verse number 3 and over to verse number 11 here tonight. Well, I want to consider here tonight this thought, the purpose of trials, the purpose of trials. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, it says, Blessed be God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which has, according to his abundant mercy, begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, or kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now and for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, and whom you now have you seen him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what and of what manner the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. I want to consider here tonight this thought, the purpose of trials. Let's go ahead and pray today. Father, thank you, Lord, again for this time we can meet again. And as we look into the Word of God here tonight, we're going to look specifically here at the, again, the subject of trials as revealed to us in the book of First Peter. Fathers, we do. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see, again, why my uh, trials come our way. And when they do, Help us, Lord, to be able to uh, deal with them in accordance to your will. Again, bless this time as we meet here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to look at the subject of trials. Last week, we looked at what is the root and hope, uh, what is the root of of both uh, your joy and your hope, and that is in a relationship in Jesus Christ. And in this particular book of the Bible, we find a group of suffering saints, And these suffering saints have been scattered, scattered because of persecution. And uh, we see them here as a tried people. We see them here as it mentions that the trial of their faith be much more precious than gold that perishes. And so they're in a trial of faith. He's writing to people uh, that are experiencing a trial of faith. And if you turn over to chapter 4, you'll see that the trial of faith is not something that's unusual, but something rather... Uh, it is of a normal a normalcy, I guess you would call it, in our, in our Christian experience. It says in chapter 4, verse number 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy." If you reproach for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
On their part, he's evil spoken of him, but on your part, he is glorified. And it goes on and talks more about trials. But we see the trial of your faith mentioned there in chapter 1, and it mentions in this chapter, and also in chapter 1, the fiery trial. We also see in chapter 5, in uh, verse number 6 to verse number 10, this this trial, this trial of faith would humble and uh, could come to a place of where they would need to humble themselves before God. Chapter six, verse number six, uh, chapter five, verse number six. It says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. We see that this book deals with trials. It deals with suffering. And again, as we consider here this evening, the subject of trials, the purpose of trials, let me say this, we see three sorts or types of trials mentioned here. We see a faith trial, and that's mentioned in chapter 1. We see again in chapter 4, a fiery trial. And then we see in chapter 5, a humbling kind of a trial. These were the same trial, but just different ways of looking at the trial that these individuals were experiencing. We see in the Bible this subject of trials over and over again. If you turn to uh, Psalm chapter 66, I want you to know that, that trials are personal. Trials certainly can be very difficult to endure. But trials are very purposeful in that God sends trials into our life on purpose and for his his goodwill and to help us to become that which he'd want us to be. In Psalm 66 and verse number 10, the Bible says, For thou, O Lord, hast proved us, thou hast tried us, as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net, thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire, through the water, but thou broughtest us, us unto a wealthy place. You know, trials are part of the Christian experience, and every one of us has gone through trials. We've gone through faith trials, personal trials. We've probably gone through fiery trials. We might have gone through watery trials. We've gone through different kinds of experiences through our Christian life. And even those in the world experience trials in different degrees. But what are trials to do to us? They're getting to us to humble ourselves, as it mentions there in 1 Peter chapter 5, and to cast all our care upon him, for he careth for us, as 1 Peter chapter 5. Talks about. So what are trials to do? We've mentioned this before, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, but trials to lead us, are to lead us to trust in the Lord. Sometimes people need that in the case of salvation, but also in the case of children needing to trust their Heavenly Father. And so I want to consider here some purpose of, of trials from the text, and we're going to be 
uh, considering them just right here as they are uncovered in First Peter. First of all, uh, what's the purpose of trials? What's the purpose of trials? Let me say, first of all, as we see in our text, is to take our minds off the world. The purpose of trials is to take our minds off the world or the current world that we live in. We see this in our text here. Again, it mentions in our text, it, it talks about how salvation is a gift and how salvation is great. And uh, it mentions there in verse number eight, it says, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why do we experience trials? To take our minds off the world. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, Christians and myself in general, our minds focus on the world. We're all concerned about what's going on in our life, the circumstances that we might experience in life. And why we experience trials is to get our minds off the world. To get our minds back on doing something that maybe they're not even doing here tonight or may not be doing throughout the week. It is to rejoice in our salvation. It says, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The trial of your faith is precious. What's it going to cause? It's going to hopefully cause you to, to rejoice in your faith. It's true that life can be something that causes us to lose joy. And we can have joy sometimes in things that maybe we really shouldn't or Maybe there are better things that we should joy in. If you turn over to Luke chapter 10, you know, we are prone and everyone in this world is to either have joy or happiness in circumstances. I mean, whatever circumstances you are in, that's a reason to rejoice. You know, we might rejoice and we say, you know, for me or maybe for someone else who maybe fixes up houses, you might rejoice in, in the sale of a house. And you might say it's wonderful, we finally sold that house, or whatever it might be. You might rejoice in maybe an achievement, maybe you, you're uh, involved with a project or whatever it might be, or you're involved with a situation and, you, and you're finally done. You're, you took that last test, that exam, and you're, you're in a place of re relief, and you're, and you're rejoicing maybe in the grade, you're rejoicing in graduation, you're rejoicing in a holiday, you're, re you're having joy from different ex experiences, and and things that you're involved with. And that's normal. That's very natural. I'm not saying that's wrong. But uh, let's consider this text here in Luke chapter 10, verse number 1 and 2. And then I'm going to skip to the end of the chapter here, or towards the end of the chapter. But uh, look here in Luke chapter 10, verse number 1 and 2. It says, And after these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them away two by two before his face, into every city and place where he himself would come, Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors in the harvest. So he's about to send 70 men to labor on the mission field. And they go on to the mission field and he gives them power and he tells them what to do and he encourages them to go to the every city. It mentions there in verse number eight, and whatsoever city you enter, they receive you, eat it, such things that are set before you. And so again, as they were to go out, they were just take provision along the way. They were to carry out the work of God and just go along and bring the message to different places. 
But I want to skip down to verse number 17. They, they came back home. And I want you to see what happened when they came back home from the mission field. It says, And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding, and this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, the main reason why Christians rejoice is because their names are written in heaven. My name is written in heaven. If your name's written in heaven, you ought to rejoice in that. The true life perspective might be, oh, wow, look at those devils. We can cast them out and they're subject to us. This is neat. This is powerful. This is cool. This is whatever it might be. I'm not sure exactly what they thought about it. It just says they had great joy. because It says they, they came back with joy because the devils are subject to us, to thy name. Do they talk about maybe people experiencing help through the gospel or anything like that? No, nothing like that. But that they could exercise spirits. They could cause the devils to be subject to them. You know, we look a lot of times to the, the spectrum of, of what we can see. And it's easy to look at what we can see. There's joy in, in sometimes seeing or experiencing. There's also sorrow that comes as a result of seeing and experiencing. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 51. Have you ever been to the point like David where you've lost the joy of your salvation? I mean, I'm just saying, you're not going to lose your salvation, but have you ever come to the point where you've lost the joy of your salvation? Like songs like Amazing Grace really mean, maybe not what they used to to you. Psalm chapter 51, verse number two, it says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before thee. He goes on here, David says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, thou, that thou mightest justify uh, when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and the hidden part. Thou shalt make known to me, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out my, all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. It's true in life, we can experience loss of joy. David did. You say, how did he lose this joy of his salvation? Well, he certainly got off track spiritually. He sinned with Bathsheba. He had sinned before him, and it led him to a joyless life. 
especially the joy of his salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. How do we lose joy or hope? Sometimes we look around, situations come into life, or sin comes into life, or we're looking at current events or current affairs, and we're saying, boy, there's no hope in this. This isn't good. Again, as we consider these individuals here, go back to 1 Peter there. They were experiencing some most difficult things. They were in a trial of faith like unto, I have never experienced. And certainly most people haven't experienced. In this book in the Bible, these individuals had experienced several different things that didn't lead to joy and and Peter was encouraging him to find joy and to have joy, but he wasn't going to say, hey, be happy about the circumstances you're in. He wanted to be happy in the salvation that they had. You say, what made them have a difficult trial? Because first of all, the Bible mentions they were scattered and we see that back in verse number one. They were, against strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They were separated from home, from family, from job, from a, a lot of different things in life. They were scattered, and certainly in this pace of scattering, they were suffering, as is mentioned in our text. They experienced heaviness. Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Peter, I mean, didn't say to these guys, you know, everything's okay, everything's right, everything's good. You're all, you're, all, you're all set here, so to speak. But they were scattered. They were now in a position that they were going to be suffering as evildoers. In chapter 2, verse number 12, it says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, Gentiles that whereas they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good works, which thou shalt behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, I don't trust history so much, but it does say during this time there was a devastating fire in Rome in July of 64 AD. It destroyed buildings and families, and after it was all said and done, they blamed the Christians for it. And that's why they persecuted at this time. Again, that seems to line up with the text here. Chapter 2, verse number 12. Having your conversation among the Gentiles, whereas they speak of you as evildoers. What did they speak about Christians as at that time? Oh, goody two-shoes? No, evildoers. They were suffering unjustly. The Bible even mentions that in the text. In verse number 19 and verse 20, it says, For this is thankworthy if a man shall... For conscience sake toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if they have buffeted you for faults? You shall take it patiently. But if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. They were suffering, being accused of being evildoers. They were suffering, taking unjust punishment. They were suffering, being reviled. As is mentioned in chapter 3, verse number 9, it says, Neither render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that you are therewith called that you may inherit a blessing. People were railing. 
against them. They're suffering for doing right. Chapter 3, verse number 14, it says, But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Their terror, being troubled. Chapter 4, verse number 13, it says, But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you should be glad with exceeding joy. Doesn't talk about them having joy and exceeding joy right then and there, does it? But it says, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. It's okay to rejoice when you suffer. As you see, Paul and Silas and others have when they've suffered greatly. But it also mentions as, as God's glory is revealed, that's when we can truly rejoice. Chapter verse 19 it says therefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well doing as unto a faithful creator you know it's kind of an unusual text there verse number 19 you know I wonder if this refers to just you know God keeping your soul and, and keeping you during that time or is it more along the lines of Stephen, where he committed his soul to the Creator before he was put to death. I don't know if you can say for sure. I don't know that anybody can say there, but if you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer as Jesus did, it could well mean even to the death. In fact, it says in verse number 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God on this behalf. Again, this group of Christians were suffering. Why were they suffering? And what is the purpose of suffering? The purpose of suffering in this case was a trial or test. This was a trial or test sent by God. It says that the trial before you being more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found on the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Purpose of suffering is to take our minds off this world and to focus our minds on grace and mercy and truth and salvation and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first purpose we see in our text. But secondly, I want to mention here tonight, the second purpose of suffering is to help us to see that life's only temporary and transitory. In verse number six, the Bible says, wherein you, rejo- you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. You know, trials are but temporary. They're not, again, uh, uh, something that's going to take one's whole life. Certainly a trial, again, in, in a life might seem long and laborious. It might seem, uh, again, something will never, never end. But again, the Bible mentions there now for a season. The Bible talks about in Acts 19, 22, he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Paul wrote to Timothy, be preaching the word in season, out of season. And so what is a season? It's just something temporary, something transitory. The four seasons of the year. Again, a season is but a short time, so trials are temporary and they're transient. In life, we have temporary trials. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 30. Not every day you experience a trial. Nobody experiences a trial 
every single day of their life. I mean, I understand people may have a trial that may last for the rest of their life, and I'm not saying that that wouldn't be the case with anybody. But again, you find, again, trials in general are of a seasonal nature. Just like there are seasons, just like there's differences in geography, I think of, again, trials being like, you know, there's mountains, there's hills, there's valleys, there's plains, there's forests. All these are different. And we experience all kinds of different things in life. Psalm chapter 30, verse number 5, the Bible says, For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. You know, for the Christian, there's always going to be joy someday, especially when it comes to heaven. But again, we see here the purpose of suffering is to help us to see that life is but temporary and transitionatory and that this season of, of trial would end one day. Let's turn back to our text there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6. There's a third reason or purpose for uh, trials is to allow us to experience trials to help us to help others through trials. In verse number six, the Bible says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And then chapter two, verse number 11, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts that war against the soul. And so again, trials again come to us to allow us to experience them, that we might be able to help someone else through like trials. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It may be that you go through a trial of health that allow you to go and help someone through a trial of health. It may be that you go through a, a trial of financial issues or whatever it might be, that you can help someone go through a trial of financial issues. It may be that you go through a trial of loneliness or pain or sickness or whatever it might be, that someone else can come along and gain comfort by the same way you may be were comforted in that trial. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse number two, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort we're with, we ourselves are comforted of God. The Christians in, in trial, you know why the trial? So you might seek comfort in God. That I might seek comfort in God. We experience, again, a trials that we might find comfort in God. Let's turn back to 1 Peter. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about here in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse number 6. Why do trials come? Trials come uh, sometimes into our life so that we might be able to go through a trial and then comfort someone who goes in through a like trial. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Why, why trials? So that we might be able to comfort someone who goes in, in or through a like trial. Let's turn to Psalm 37. There's a lot of good verses in the book of Psalm. I'm not going to read through a lot of them here tonight, but I'll give you again a few references if you want to write them down. Psalm 61, verse number 1 through 4. 
Psalm 125, verse number 1 through 5, Psalm 142, verses 1 through 7, we can all find comfort in the scriptures, which can lead us to comfort others who go through like trials or similar trials, or the same kind of trials. Psalm 37, verse number 1, it says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious at the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of the heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of them that prospereth in the way, and because of the man that bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of, of peace. We can look forward to a time where this world will be ruled by the Prince of Peace. We will experience peace. We will have joy because we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ. What do trials teach us? They teach us humility. They teach us to wean ourselves away from the world. They teach us to focus on the heavenly. They teach us to reshuffle our priorities. They teach us to go to God in prayer They teach us to appreciate God's blessings when we have them. They teach us that we can be used of God further by the trials we experience. And so there's a final thing I'd like to look at here in in, uh, our text there back in 1 Peter chapter 1. What's the purpose of trials? To take our minds off the world. What's the purpose of trials? To help us see that life is transitory and transient. What's the purpose of, of trials to allow us to experience trials that we might comfort others with the trials that we uh, experience through the comfort of God given to us? And what's the purpose of trials to purify God's people, to make them usable for God's use and God's glory? First Peter chapter 1, verse number 7, it says, Though the trial of your feet be more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, God wants us to go through the trial and experience a trial that can remake us, remold us, refashion us, and help us to be what we need to be for God. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm just about done here tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, all of us go through different kinds of trials in our life. I I know some have experienced many different trials when it comes to health. I, I thank the Lord I haven't had a lot of trials of health, but there's certainly a lot of people that have experienced trials of health. I know there's many uh, that have experienced trials, uh, again, in other areas of life. And certainly, uh, I've experienced different trials through, through my life. And I'm not going to go into the trials I've experienced, but again, what's the purpose of the trial? Well, let's look here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 20. The 
Bible says, but in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel on honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared to every good work. And so what, what's this purifying process, this purging process? What good is this? It's to produce a vessel that's useful for God. Let's turn back to our text. I want to show you something in, the, in this book of the Bible, and I think it's kind of neat. Uh, at least from my perspective, it's kind of a neat thing. I think it's kind of neat because you, you see a word used in here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6. It mentions manifold temptations or manifold trials that we go through. Again, the word manifold against means, means manifold. We're having a lot of different uh, kinds or variety in, in trials or temptations. Uh, ye are in heaviness of trials through manifold temptations. And again, they were experiencing, again, uh, again troubles on many different fronts, uh, discouragements and, and sufferings on different, different fronts. But it mentions here in chapter 1, verse number 6, there's manifold trans, uh, uh, temptations or trials. But look to chapter 4 and verse number 6. Uh, chapter 4, verse number uh, 6. The Bible says, For this cause was the gospel preached also unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men of the flesh and live according to God and the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Someone says, why do these things come into our life? They, they lead us to a place of prayer. You know, there's many temptations, but there's much opportunity for us to pray. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to look at one last verse before we close here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. You know, there's, there's suffering, there's trials that come to a person's life. And certainly they came to these individuals here to whom Peter was writing. He was trying to encourage them to to rejoice in their salvation because they could not necessarily rejoice in the circumstances and things that they were going through. They could rejoice that they were counted to be worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. But certainly the suffering wasn't something to joy over in general. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And so when a trial comes, you say, what, what's going to happen? There's going to be a way to escape. There's going to be a way to bear that trial. And so there are manifold trans, uh, temptations. There's also manifold grace. There's also a way out. And so we see the purpose of trials. And we see that the trials are for our good and for God's glory. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.